0: Well, that felt especially timely to me as Doug prayed that we would go uh, filled with the Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit, having been in Acts 1-8 last week and talked about the Holy Spirit and the Great Commission, that um, a lot of our expectation about how the Holy Spirit is going to work among us ought to correspond with our own expectations for ourselves and our obedience to the Great Commission. And a lot of what we read about in the book of Acts in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit is while the church is scattered, not gathered, while the church is out, not in. And so as we get ready to send a team um, over to link up with the work going on in Aringa, uh, we do earnestly pray that we'll go in the fullness and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then from there, we uh, come this week to the subject of a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. As I said at the outset, I'm drawing from uh, a few different passages. They'll be on the screen here as we um, read, but Acts chapter 2, Acts 4, and Ephesians 5. If you wanted to be following along in your own Bible, if you're visiting this morning, we uh, had been going through the Gospel of John and then coming to uh, 14 through 17 there, the farewell discourse as Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples, we uh, sort of took that as an opportunity, a jumping off point to uh, dive in a little bit deeper as to what the scripture says elsewhere about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're continuing that series today on this subject of a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're looking begin to begin with in Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 8 and then uh, following in the ones that I mentioned. But I'm going to ask you, if you will, to stand out of reverence for God's word and attentiveness to his voice as we listen to him speak. Acts 2, beginning of verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them, or each of us, in his own native language? In Acts 4, verses 29 through 31, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And finally, Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. Paul writes, And do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you now, as always, for your word that it is true and living, powerful and active, able to cut to the very center of our being and discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And you know the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, Lord. You know uh, the very fiber of our lives and even our futures. You know, Lord, what it is that we need to hear as we open the scriptures today with the expectation that we will. So we surrender ourselves to you today and ask that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good. God, as always, I ask that you would move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument, Lord, and You know, particularly today, all that could be said, that there's not time to say, and we don't even have the capacity to absorb all in one sitting. So Lord, would you help and sovereignly govern over all of that? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, I said last week, if you were here, that one of the guiding questions we, we uh, really could ask throughout this series is, what should we expect from the Holy Spirit? As I said, it's one thing to talk about um, in sort of abstract terms. What does uh, the Bible tell us about who He is and what He does, just kind of in principle or whatever, but the rubber meets the road a little bit more when we ask, what should we expect in light of that? and we considered the fact that we've already experienced his regenerating life-giving work where we were dead in our trespasses and sins and he made us alive resurrected us spiritually that he convicted of our sin convicted us of our sins and we repented and came to faith in Christ we've already talked about that what he has done and continues to do is illuminate our understanding of the word of god that many of us would share in common a testimony that first time, we realized things in the Bible that hadn't made sense before. We opened the Bible and then shortly closed it back up because it didn't make any sense. And then, having come to a real uh, new birth experience, suddenly he shined light on the scriptures and continues to do that. And we expect, as I said just earlier and last week we expect his power to be at work as we go and fulfill the great commission those are some of our expectations of him and this morning we consider the fact that we ought also to expect a deeper work of the holy spirit that language comes from the epc's position paper on the holy spirit if you receive our e-newsletter uh and read it then uh you You know that from this week's newsletter, I sent just a real brief uh, sort of preview of what was coming up this week and another link to that document, encouraging you to read it. I'll be drawing heavily from that this morning. But if we uh, just consider, just in a very, very quick survey, I picked these three texts this morning not to really uh, expound them the way that I typically do, um, but to observe some commonalities in them and what they tell us about this deeper work of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, which many of you are familiar with, is the initial post-resurrection outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had said, um, John baptized you with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wait here in Jerusalem and you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So he has told them to expect this. And then Acts 2, verses 1 through 8 that we just read, or this initial outpouring, I would mention, by the way, it is um, an unrepeatable experience in a certain respect. That is, there will never be a time again where it's the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit after the resurrection. And when we read historical narratives in general, we need to be reminded um, that they are descriptive more than they are prescriptive. So um, we we just ought to be wise and thoughtful about how we apply generally or universally these these, uh, things to our present lives. But it was this initial post-resurrection, outpouring, and it says the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and the evidence of that was that they spoke in other tongues such that all those gathered around them were hearing them speak in their own languages. Then in Acts chapter 4, those same disciples and perhaps others were gathered together praying they had just come from the temple where they've been threatened by the Jewish leaders and told not to speak in this name anymore. They come back to the assembly and say and tell them about this, and they, they bring it to the Lord in prayer. And that's what we just read, that they prayed um, that God would uh, enable them to continue to speak the word with boldness. And as they were praying, it says the whole place was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. And then the evidence of that in that particular account was that they spoke the word of God with boldness. Um, this is the sort of thing why always I encourage you to have your own Bible open. And you could <laughs> look back at what I'm referring to <clears throat> and see if I'm being... Excuse me, that did not help. <clears throat> See if I'm reporting that faithfully and accurately. But the, they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, that initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4, same people. They spoke in tongues the first time, they spoke the word of God, of God with boldness the second time. And then in Ephesians 5, we read. Um, Sometime much later, Paul writing to the Ephesians and all believers are commanded to be filled with the Spirit that verb tense is uh, it communicates ongoing action you've maybe heard that before, but it would it would read uh, like be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit it, it has that uh, that sort of Uh, grammatical sense to it. It's continuous. When he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like, continue in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an ongoing thing that he's saying to believers and that he's commanding. And what's interesting is if you consider what follows from that, the evidence of that or the consequence of their being filled with the Spirit In Acts chapter 5 is singing to one another, giving thanks to God, and submitting to one another. Again, you look, if you've got your Bible open, you look at it. If you don't have your Bible open, look at it later. But that's how the thing goes. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to God giving thanks to him, submitting to one another out of reverence for the Lord. So be filled with the Holy Spirit and imperative. The evidence of that is going to be, uh, we could say, perhaps it's fair to say, uh, joy, gratitude, and humility. I don't know if joy is the right word to attach to whatever produces song out of your heart to one another, but whatever word you would attach to that, that's the... The, the, the result, the consequence in that particular writing of being filled with the Spirit. So the fullness of the Spirit is to overflow in such a way that it impacts the quality of our relationships with God and with other people. That's the implication of Ephesians 5. Now, I pick those three verses to sort of illustrate <clears throat> that point um, as succinctly as I could, because there's lots of others that we could look at, even just in the book of Acts. There's a lot more said about that. But uh, what I wanted to um, survey there is that you've got an initial filling of the Holy Spirit, a subsequent filling of the Holy Spirit, and an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. Do you see where that comes from the text of Scripture that I just read? An initial filling in Acts 2, a subsequent filling in Acts 4, of the same people. An ongoing one that we're reading about in Acts chapter 5. Be filled, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so um, I want to kind of give you, as I do occasionally and as I did last week, the uh, sermon in a nutshell. It's a bigger. It's a little bit of a bigger nutshell this week. Hence my prayer that God would help uh, choose what I don't say, because there's a there's so much here. And, and the hardest thing about writing this was the decision of all the things not to say. Um, so uh, here is the, kind of the and I, and all of this was uh, the, the, I think all these points. We're in the newsletter this week. I'll re, uh, I restated this point a little bit um, on this first slide, but here's kind of the the bottom line of the message: that God empowers the church through a filling of the Holy Spirit that may occur at the time of a person's new birth or when a person's born again, but all but is also subsequent and ongoing in the life of a believer. Okay, God empowers the church, individual believers that make up the church, through a filling of the Holy Spirit that may occur at the time of a person's new birth. It's also subsequent and ongoing in the life of a believer. And to uh, uh, elaborate that a little bit further, um, again, I'm drawing here from the EPC position paper on the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons, you know, I said when I launched this series that I would be where relevant uh, teaching from this perspective. This would probably be the number one message where I saw this to be relevant because there are, even represented right here in this uh, room, there are there are so many varying viewpoints on the subject and even how we talk about this issue. And so that's some of what I want to touch on today. Um, but again, I'll uh, sort of elaborate that sermon in a nutshell from... Quotes from this EPC position paper on the Holy Spirit. Number one, that the Holy Spirit functions within the life of a believer, unfolding and expressing the life of Christ in ever-deepening and life-changing ways. One of the things this document addresses is that our experience with the Holy Spirit um, is not to be a a once-upon-a-time-and-then-we-lived-happily-ever-after sort of experience. That's part of what this is addressing, is that um, he he functions within the life of the believer, unfolding and expressing the life of Christ in ever-deepening and life-changing ways. Number two, that subsequent to the new birth, and because of it, he manifests the life of Christ in the believer in a variety of ways, That include both fruit and gifts. And then number three. The power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Are given to the believer. To enable God's people to do. What otherwise they could not do. Namely. Fulfill the great commission. Through missions and world evangelization. As well as build up. The body of Christ on earth. So that's. Again, it in a, in a big nutshell, that we are to expect God to empower us through a filling of the Holy Spirit that may occur at the time of a person's conversion. There are examples of that even in the book of Acts, um, but also is subsequent and ongoing. Whatever it was our initial encounter with the Holy Spirit was, in other words, at our our conversion when we were born again, however dynamic that may be, and there are stories of, again, people being radically changed in a moment, healed from things, delivered from addictions, and different kinds of things that are sudden, immediate, and and astounding. Whatever that was, though, there is also subsequently, and in an ongoing way, uh, a deepening Work of the Holy Spirit. And so in the EPC position paper, uh, there's a a question and answer that I included in my newsletter this week because what I want to do here um, as I sort of unpack that sermon in a nutshell is really to do so in a way that makes some distinctions and clarifications. This document was written, I believe, probably largely for that purpose. How do we understand the work of the Holy Spirit? And how do we talk about that? Um, and uh, there there are, there are things that just deserve distinction and clarification. So one of the questions that they said in this document that one of the questions they often get is, is the EPC charismatic? And the answer was, if you uh, read that in the newsletter article or in that document, the answer is, if you mean are we Pentecostal, the answer is no. If you mean are we open to the gifts of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, the answer is yes. And so, again, in another nutshell, uh, let me try to... Um, summarize what they're referring to when they say, are we Pentecostal? Uh, If if you mean, are we Pentecostal? The answer is no. And let me uh, even qualify this by saying, I recognize there are many people among us who are Pentecostal, even if you don't realize (laughs) that's what you are. I mean, that your understanding of things is, uh, it really comes from a Pentecostal perspective. And there are people elsewhere in the EPC who come from that perspective. Um, but anyway, the, what they're, they're answering sort of from our position and our understanding as a body. We're not Pentecostal. So the, the view that they're uh, sort of responding to that, again, if you come from a Pentecostal perspective, you um, you know it well, and others have just encountered it, but essentially would speak of this same work that we're talking about. And by the way, there's a whole lot of overlap with the EPC and Uh, other Pentecostals and Charismatics and so forth. But they would talk about this same experience, this deeper work of the Holy Spirit, as being uh, a second work of grace, so subsequent to and separate from your regeneration or uh, being born again. Separate to and subsequent from that is a second work of grace. It is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the evidence of that, or at least the initial evidence of that, is speaking in tongues. Often, the, the mode by which that is uh, uh, imparted or experienced or whatever is the laying on of hands. And, um, and maybe that sort of says all that I was going to, that, that would summarize that. But that's kind of the, the a Pentecostal, when they say, do you mean, are we Pentecostal? That's what they're addressing, that that sort of understanding and language that say this is a second work of grace subsequent to separate from our regeneration, that it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence is speaking in tongues. And so what was important to say at the outset is when we, uh, that this in a nutshell, we really are talking about, along with Pentecostals and Charismatics in, in uh, really significant ways, The same work of the Holy Spirit, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, uh, through which he imparts gifts, through which also comes uh, fruit. But the ongoing and deepening uh, work and and, uh, producing in us the life of Christ. But here I want to make, again, a few distinctions and clarifications um, in in our position uh, on this and then Um, that of others. Number one, that we, that is the EPC in its position statement, do not call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I would say, uh, for me, the uh, better language to refer to that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you notice, um, even in Acts chapter 2, that's the language it used. Even though he, in Acts chapter 1, says you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, When uh, Acts chapter 2 happens, the Holy Spirit is poured out. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it uses that language more consistently throughout the book of Acts. That's better language, I think. Um, And for uh, this reason, that, again, as part of the EPC's position paper on this, it says, we hold to the concept of the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit as the act uh, at the time the Spirit takes an unregenerate individual and through the new birth adopts him into the family of God. All the works of the Spirit that follow then are because of this initial baptism rather than separate from it. I realized I probably just did that out of order on my uh, slides um, or the slides were in the right order. I just didn't change my notes to reflect that. Um, but uh, if you will go to that scripture from 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So you know that, again, if you've studied this much, you know that the, these distinctions and even disagreements, they aren't news to you. Um, and it has to do with, you know, just people's different readings of the New Testament. Just, but just so you uh, kind of see where this comes from. Because it says we hold this, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the act where the Holy Spirit takes an unregenerate person and baptizes them, adopts them into the family of God. 1 Corinthians 12:13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and were all made to drink in one spirit. That is to say, when anytime we're reading the Bible, one of the interpretive principles is we let the Bible interpret the Bible. We look at uh, what does the Bible so, say elsewhere on the subject and how do other texts of Scripture illuminate our understanding of one particular Scripture. That doesn't always give us perfect clarity on the issue either, but that is, uh, that's just a principle we use. And one of the uh, other references in the New Testament, in the epistles, to spirit baptism is here, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. In one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. We see uh, really kind of a reference to this. We saw it uh, two weeks ago when we were talking about regeneration in Titus 3, 5, where it says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So th- that, those two verses are simply to point out that the way the, uh, Paul's letters talk about the work of regeneration is that there is a washing that takes place, a baptism of sort. Our sins um, that are the washing that is symbolized in water baptism um, really occurs by the work of the Holy Spirit, which again we would understand to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so that's part of the reason um, the the EPC uh, doesn't use the language for this um, filling of the Holy Spirit, this deeper work of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about doesn't use the language of baptism of the Holy Spirit, but uh, filling or deeper work is probably more suitable there. I should have said at the beginning, by the way, um, people who have settled opinions on this whole subject wherever you fall on the continuum I did not come into this morning with the expectation I was going to change your mind. Um, so, uh, but, And certainly that wouldn't happen in a cursory treatment, right, of, um, of any of these texts. But anyway, so that's number one. We don't, the EPC, we don't speak of this as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or rather the filling or the deeper work. Number two, that speaking in tongues is not the only evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. There are many, again, in, uh, uh, I say Pentecostal circles, I'm really not even just talking about classic Pentecostal denominations, but many in the charismatic movement who uh, essentially have a uh, Pentecostal understanding of that, who I wouldn't even say it's the only evidence, but it's the initial evidence is the way that that's spoken of sometime. Um, But I, I think, again, we don't even really see that definitively in Scripture. We certainly don't see it as the only evidence. The script, the text we just looked at, including Acts 4, showed uh, that evidence in um, Acts chapter 4 was speaking the Word of God in boldness. And you see different times throughout the book of Acts where it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul, not only his initial, it wasn't his initial filling of the Holy Spirit, but he's out on his, one of his missionary journeys, and it says, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, Said, and he just lays into some sort of uh, uh, evil person contesting him or whatever. He spoke the word of God very forthrightly. That speaking in tongues is not the only evidence, it is an evidence Uh, for those who experience it that way. It's a pretty convincing evidence. Um, And we'll talk more about the gift of tongues as a spiritual gift in a few weeks because uh, there's lots more that can be said about that as well. But, but part of the reason, um, again, these distinctions are helpful, is because a, a lot of times you, people will say, and some others have encountered this. In fact, I know people have encountered I've heard a couple of times this week of people encountering this. But somebody will come and say, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? And um, if the answer is no, then you ought to. And uh, it, it can be, um, I mean, it, it can take people aback and they don't know what to make of that. And um, so anyway, it's not the only evidence of receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Number three, we don't receive in this deeper work of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. We don't receive more of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the way this is discussed, it's just we, we, can, we can talk just a little bit carelessly in the way we use language. Sometimes people don't even mean that. But it's not like you, re, you get your minimum ration of the Holy Spirit when you're born again and then there's a later time where you can get the full dose or whatever. We don't get more of the Holy Spirit uh, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We do, however, avail ourselves of more of what it is he has to offer or supply. In other words, what we, 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 what we ought not to feel uh, comfortable with, again, is sort of talking ourselves back into, um, yeah, once upon a time I was born again, I received the Holy Spirit, and now I'll live happily ever after. As if that's fully the work of the Holy Spirit and he'll do whatever he wants to do um, after that. We don't receive more of the Holy Spirit as such, but we do um, avail ourselves through being filled with the Holy Spirit of more of what it is he has to offer or supply. And some of that comes through the um, impartation of, there's a better word probably than that, or, or our discovery of or receiving of spiritual gifts. In other words, that it, it introduces us to a new engagement with the body of Christ, a new relationship with the Holy Spirit and our place of ministry and so on. Um, but we don't receive more of the Holy Spirit per se. Number four, it's not just a one time episode or event. That is, Uh, It's not like, okay, you were born again. That's one date on the calendar. And then you were filled with the Spirit. And that's the other date on the calendar. And that sort of defines who you are as a Christian. Um, As I said, really the implication of saying that it's subsequent and ongoing, that implies it's not just a one-time event, but that we're continuing to be filled with, with the Holy Spirit. Now, there may be a really punctuated experience you have with the Holy Spirit. Um, And it may be unforgettable in your whole story of becoming a Christian. And as I said, it may be that uh, what you received in the way of um, a spiritual gift may be a lasting for the rest of your Christian life sort of thing. But it's not just an episode Or event. And see, we would be helped if we would think differently in this way, where we expect, in other words, to at one point open ourselves to receiving, to to being filled with the Holy Spirit and receiving all that He has for us, but continuing to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit in such a way where we're always um, open to what it is he wants to do in our lives and how it is he wants to use us and so on. That it's, it's a dynamic kind of interplay. There may be for one particular season of time or moment in, in ministry, maybe even for a mission trip or something, that he um, supplies a sort of power in engaging in ministry that is for that season, And there'll be another season later where he has something else for us. But it's a matter of uh, sort of living with the expectation. We're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, uh, receptive to what he has for us in light of what he knows is out ahead of us. It's not just a one-time episode or event. Number five, we don't, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, become level two Christians. Some of you know what I mean by that. You've felt that way. Maybe you've talked that way to other people. Uh, where the, the, the implication is, is sort of like when you become a Christian, you know, you're born again, and that's your seat on the, on the plane to heaven, but you're seated, seated in economy class. And then you get filled with the spirit and then you get to move up to first class. And uh, is, sometimes there are people who talk this, and it's, it's kind of forceful in this way. This is very much the way they're thinking. Sometimes it's not the way people are thinking, but it's the way you end up feeling by the way that that's communicated. And again, I'm quite sure some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, I had an experience one time having, uh, I, I went with, My brother, actually, uh, this is years ago, uh, back in the 90s sometime, but we were in another city and went to this worship uh, event, a worship music kind of event at a non-denominational charismatic church. Again, we both came out of a very charismatic background. I was in a Baptist church at the time, but uh, again, very sort of... uh, charismatic and own thinking about the Holy Spirit and so forth. Well, we went to this event. We pull up into the parking lot. They've got their greeter team or whatever. There's a, a boy about 14 years old who greets us. You know, we say hello and, uh, you know, they ask where, you know, just about us or whatever. And I say, I'll go to the Baptist church down the, down the street. And he says, oh, you're Baptist? Yeah, I hate Baptists. <laughs> and And I laughed. I mean, it really was humorous to me uh, because, number one, I knew he did not get that in greeter training. <laughs> so please, <laughs> nobody on the first impressions team, don't follow that model. But anyway, I knew like any of the adults, any of his parents would crawl under the table if they heard that. But here's the other thing about that 14-year-old boy. He got the message Perfectly. He had picked up on something that, that was very much the sentiment of people in the circles he walked in, is that um, they're Christians, but not really. They're Christians, but not first-class Christians. What he went on to say was, I hate Baptists. They don't preach the Word. I mean, they preach the Word, but not the whole Word. Again, he, he, had, he had gotten the message This is the way people in his community talked about the body of Christ. That there's level one Christians and there's level two Christians. And in those circles and many others, the ticket to level two is speaking in tongues. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, you can move up to first class in the Christian community. Again, uh, this is not, uh, I think, at all the way uh, the Bible actually talks about it when you, when you read it more fully. Certainly not what we as the EPC would say. We don't become level two Christians. And one of the greatest services we could do to our own church and to the broader body of Christ is if we dispense with those notions, if we can talk about a real openness earnest, eagerness for the fullness of the Spirit without talking in a way that uh, separates, divides, classifies, and and that sort of thing right out of the gate. Or even that sets people up for false expectations or disappointments if the Holy Spirit doesn't um, operate in their own life the way he does in somebody else's because that's just not what he has for that individual. Right? That we'd be freed if we just really are receptive to, um, earnestly pursue all that he has for us and yet yielded to whatever that is. Enough on that point. We don't become level two Christians. Finally, the distinction or clarification needs to be made is that this is not just a passive or automatic experience. This is really a clarification for people who would be, maybe not at the Pentecostal end of the uh, continuum, but um, maybe at the other end of the continuum. Those people who would say, uh, yeah, I received the Holy Spirit when I was born again. The Holy Spirit dwells in me, that is true. We looked at Romans 8 a couple of weeks ago and saw that. But then would just say, that's really all there is to it. And uh, he, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Well, that's true, too, <laughs> that he can do whatever he wants. But there are any number of ways where that is ordinarily not how God operates. It's just like God can do whatever he wants in a whole host of ways. But there are lots of things that ordinarily the way that he provides is an answer to prayer, right? Right? Because we've had people have the same sort of conversation or sort of wrestling with prayer. Well, if God's just sovereign and He's going to do whatever He wants to, why do we even pray? Well, because He said pray. Why do we evangelize? Because He said to evangelize. Because He uses people as the means uh, by which the gospel is delivered and uh, through which people's eyes are opened up or hearts understand and so forth. These are ordinarily the way He works. And so we don't just uh, passively or automatically receive and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If we did, Ephesians 5 wouldn't make any sense for Paul to write to believers who have already been born again, who already have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, but to say to them, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, right? It wouldn't make any sense if it's just automatic or passive. That's a an imperative. You be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to get into uh, more of that subject. We'll, we'll touch on that a bit more in uh, a message, a couple of... Uh, a couple of messages from now, it's actually a few weeks because that ring trip will be inserted in between, but I'll do a message on openness to the Holy Spirit. Um, but we might say that even right now, how do we receive that if we want to say, Lord, I, yes, I'm, I'm open to all the fullness of your Spirit and all that you have to offer through that. Well, number one, we need to believe as the uh, I, don't, I don't think I actually read the, um, the other slide there, which says even though the EPC uh, doesn't use the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's another statement there that says, regardless of what term we use, do you have that slide up? Yeah, here we go. Regardless of what term we used. We recognize this deepening work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer as being both valid and necessary, producing evidences in his pres- of his presence in the process. Okay? We need to lay hold of that. We need to, we need to embrace that. That is, regardless of what term we're using, what, what, what we, the terms matter. The terms matter because the terms have uh, implications to them. But but it's the, the point is rather than getting stalemated uh, by a haggling over language, regardless of what term you use, we recognize this deepening work of the Holy Spirit is valid. It's necessary, and it produces evidences of His presence. That is, uh, there, there we if we really receive the fullness of the Spirit and we walk in the fullness of the Spirit, um, we will know ourselves that there's evidence of His work in us. Uh, Evidences of different sort, as their their document said, um, in different ways, fruit and gifts. Some uh, evidences may be more overt and dramatic than others. That's really not the point. It is that... this is a valid and necessary um, sort of work of the Holy Spirit and it produces evidences in the process. And so part of receiving then the fullness of the Holy Spirit is believing that. That it's valid and necessary. Today and tomorrow and next week and next year. Um, second is asking. The, the, the Disciples after being filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, uh, healing a lame beggar on going up to the temple and then being threatened by the Jewish leaders. and in in response to that, they go back to the church and they pray. And they, they actually are not asking. They're not asking, God, fill us with your spirit again. They're asking. God grant us to speak the word of God with boldness. He's called them to this task. They're immediately threatened in their obedience to that task. And so God, essentially, they're praying, don't let us shrink back from that. Let us continue to speak the word of God with boldness. But they're praying earnestly for him to supply what it is they need to do what he's called them to do. And we ought not to expect um, that we'll receive anything of that sort from the Lord without praying could he give it to us without praying absolutely at any time ordinarily he doesn't and so part of receiving that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is asking it asking for it and to keep on asking as Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 and then finally you know just trusting God to supply that it's not. Uh, it, it's not like being the, the, the you know the prophets of Baal. Um, if you remember in the Old Testament and reading, they're scratching at themselves, trying to get their uh, God to show up from heaven or whatever, cutting themselves. And you know, so we're not down in prayer expecting uh, for that to, for God's for the filling of the Holy Spirit to manifest in any particular way, um, where sparks fly or anything like that, but just. Uh, open to the sparks flying but trusting him to supply what he's what he's promised to supply particularly if we are obeying him in all that he's commanded us to do if we're obeying him in the great commission like we talked last week if we are engaged in the life of the church in such a way where we are actually contributing something to the building up of the body because that's why the gifts of the Spirit are given and the power of the Holy Spirit is given for fulfillment of His mission and commands and for building up of the body. If we are spiritually sitting in our recliner, armchair quarterbacks about what's going on in the church, Don't have anything to contribute except for suggestions on what somebody else ought to do differently. If that's your life as a believer, no reason to expect the Holy Spirit needs to add anything more to that. Okay, but if we are obeying him uh, by going and by building up in the ways, engaging in the ways that he's called us to, we ought to ask, trust, trust that he's going to supply it as we go and continue asking and continue being open and receiving and going and serving. But it's not just a passive or automatic experience. And so there is uh, a whole lot there, obviously, and a whole lot more, as some of you know, that I didn't even touch on when you you get into that subject. uh, This, like others, easily could have been more than one message, but a really important one um, as we both lay a, a foundational sort of understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does and also in a way that can be a bit uh, disarming in the way we understand that and talk about that so that we can be unified in our pursuit of all that he has for us. So, Once again, I'm going to uh, just... Tie a loose bow around that as we wrap up and uh, move on. And uh, next week we'll be talking about from Galatians chapter 5 um, walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Let's pray together. Well, oh Lord, we thank you, God, that there is this hope and this assurance. that you don't leave us here as a church doing ministry, making disciples, serving one another, even worshiping, Lord, that you don't leave us doing all of that in our own strength, but that we continue to have available to us all the presence, the power, the resources of the Holy Spirit. And so God, we pray that you would renew our passion for his ministry to us. God, that you would stir up in us an earnest desire to receive a fresh, the filling of the Spirit, to walk in the fullness of the Spirit and to see your power at work through us, not for the sake of drawing attention to ourselves, but Lord, of accomplishing what it is you've sent forth. You've sent us forth for So Lord, I... I pray that, as you know, the hearts of individuals in readiness, Lord, to receive all the fullness of your Spirit and to walk wholeheartedly in it. God, I pray that you'd be gracious to give it liberally to your glory. Amen.